Only two days left in 2021. Where has the year gone? I'm Charles Morris with Haven Today, and I wonder if you're like me. You think about supporting things you appreciate, and then sometimes you forget to do it. So could I kindly ask if you've thought about sending us a year-end gift to help support this ministry? Could you call us right after this program? Don't delay and make your gift. If we've been a blessing to you, please pray about being a blessing to us here at the end of the year. Of course, your gift is tax-deductible. It'll help us catch up with our year-end goal by December 31st. But you need to call us after the program at 800-65-HAVEN or visit us at haventoday.org. And I'll share all that again with you in just a moment. But now, let's get this show on the road. We've got a new year coming. A list, some sincerity, and a promise. I'll do better this time around. That's what millions of people around the world are telling themselves. That's right. Once again, it's time for New Year's resolutions. Have you written down yours yet? Every new year contains the promise of a new start. But according to a 2016 study, 25% of people fail to keep their resolutions for more than a week. And how many people are faithful to their resolutions over the course of an entire year? Roughly 9%. The reasons? They're complicated. Some respondents said they expected too drastic of a change. And almost a quarter of the people simply forgot about what they had promised to do. No doubt about it, keeping a resolution is hard work. Christians can be thankful that we don't have to work for our salvation. As Jesus said, this is God's work, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. We're in a best of 2021 series called Getting the Gospel Right. Moralistic, therapeutic, deism. Ever heard of that? Sounds more like a health diagnosis, but in some ways, it is indeed a diagnosis. It was coined by sociologist Christian Smith a decade and a half ago, and it was a way for him to describe a quasi-religious belief system that was held by many young people in North America who believed that if they were just good enough, God would take them to heaven. Sadly, moralistic therapeutic deism has crept into the church where many believe Jesus came to help us live our best lives now, and if we're good enough, he'll love us and save us. But does the Bible teach this moralistic belief? How is one made right with God? What did Jesus really come to do for his people? In a moment, we're going to look to God's Word to see how we so easily confuse the moral law with the good news of Jesus Christ. He doesn't exist just to help us. He came to save us from our sins and renew our hearts to glorify Him in all we do. But if we do, before we realize what He's done, we can land in a heap of trouble. And to help us better understand this concept, we're going to hear another excerpt from the documentary, American Gospel, Christ Alone. Better than anything I've seen in a long time, this film exposes the moralistic and prosperity gospels that have crept into Christian thinking over the last few decades. I think it's so important to understand these false teachings and see what the Bible really teaches about salvation and good news. 
Get a copy for yourself by making a year-end gift to Haven today. And get another copy to share with friends and family who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And we really, really do need your help this time of year to reach our financial goal. So I really mean this. Please pray about what the Lord would want you to send. A couple of weeks ago, somebody sent us $100,000, but somebody also sent us $10, and both are significant in God's kingdom. And if you want, send your gift, and we'll also, if you ask for it, send you the American Gospel DVD. Our number is being answered 24-7 today. So call us after the program at 800 654 2836. That's 865 Haven. Or do your business online with us. But after you pray about it, of course, go to haventoday.org. Haventoday.org. Now, from their album Trial and Triumph, this is I Am They and Crown Him. It's not my life to live. It's not my song to sing. All I have is here for all eternity. It's not my righteousness. It's not my faithfulness.
Texas Haven today. Getting the Gospel Right is the name of our series this week. I'm Charles Morris, and we opened with Crown Him by I Am They. A.W. Tozer, a 20th century theologian and pastor, once said that what you think about God is the most important thing about you. I could go further. What you think about God when you're alone in your solitude is the most important thing about you. When no one is there to check your answers or make sure that you have the right answer, what do you think of God? And I don't mean what's your opinion of God. We all have opinions, especially if things don't happen to go our way. I mean, what do you think God is like? Who do you think he is? We're in this series, Getting the Gospel Right. And one way we know if we've gotten it right is how we think about the Lord. It's also how we've gotten it wrong. Sadly, Moralistic, therapeutic deism has crept into the church, where many believe Jesus came to help us live our best lives now, and if we're good enough, he'll love us and save us. But does the Bible teach this moralistic belief? Listen to a little bit with me now from American Gospel, Christ Alone. We want to, first of all, say there's nothing wrong with preaching morality. We certainly don't want to preach the opposite, immorality. But moralistic preaching, or sometimes identified as moralism, is preaching the commands of Scripture or the morals of Scripture and nothing else. Just pretty much saying to people, you be a good person and God will love you for that. And while we do not intend it, that is not just a sub-Christian message, it's actually an anti-Christian message. The messages that just say be good damn people to their pride or to despair. There are really only two possible human responses. One response to a be good message is, been there, done that, checked off that box. The person will believe they can attain it, be the Pharisee, um, and work and work and work and work, or be the Mormon, <laughs> work and work, or the Muslim or the Jehovah's Witness, all of them. <laughs> you'll, you'll try to earn salvation by trying to be a good person. Why do I have to, you know, repent? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness if you're not making mistakes? I work hard, I'm an honorable person. Jesus is walking down the road uh, one day and a young man comes up to him and says, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it sounds like a very safe question. It's actually a landmine. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It, already it's about performance. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus responds with great wisdom. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he says, you know the commandments. But Joy, then what, but what is the standard of goodness? Be good that, to your neighbor, don't cheat okay, on your husband, but, don't steal. The, don't lie, don't steal. Gives them the list of the commands. But in the Bible, God's standard is the Ten Commandments. I'm good on that too. And the young man immediately says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus just said, only God is good. And two seconds later, what does the young man say? Me too! In which case he gives himself the status and the stature of God. It's just pure pride. And by the way, breaks the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods. You've never told a lie before, ever? Oh, why, is that one of the commandments? It's the commandment. <laughs> never the gospel isn't what would Jesus do, now go and do that. The gospel is what has Jesus done, now believe that. This distinction between the law and the gospel really is the most important Thing to remember, and it's one of the things that we're forgetting. That pattern of God always making sure that we know 
that relationship comes before obedience, that we do not have a relationship with him because we obey, we obey because he has made a relationship with us. That is made clear over and over again in the Bible. God says before he ever tells his people what the commands are, I'm the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, now obey me. Now it's critical we understand he didn't say, you obey me and I'll let you out of Egypt. No, he said, I have redeemed you. Now here's the safe path for you to walk on. It's the order not just of the Old Testament passages. I mean, all the epistles of the New Testament basically follow that same order. In general, the first half of the epistles of Paul, of John, of Peter kind of say, here's what God has done in Christ. Here's how he has saved you. The last half of the epistles, now here's what you should do in response. The moral commands that we should obey are like the railroad tracks for the train that as the train's going, this is the way that the train's supposed to go. But the gospel is the engine and the fuel that makes the train actually move. And so it does a Christian no good and it does a non-Christian no good to just continue telling them, hey, here's the tracks, now go. But if they have no fuel, if they have no engine, they're just gonna be a train stuck. And there's a lot of Christians, I think, today that are just trains sitting on tracks being told, go forward, but they're not being given an engine or any fuel to move them forward. From the DVD that we have this week, American Gospel Christ Alone, there's an old gospel tract that's been around since the 1950s. It was first written by Bill Bright. It's called The Four Spiritual Laws. Campus Crusade for Christ is now known as Crew. Some of our team members have worked for Crew. The Four Spiritual Laws has been used all over the world in many different languages to introduce people to the Lord Jesus. And in that track, there is a powerful image. It's the picture of a chair or a throne. The throne is about who is in charge of the center of your life. And the question is, who's sitting on that throne? Too often today, we are, wouldn't you say? We put ourselves at the center of the world, and we bring God or Christ into our life as we see fit, but only if it makes us feel better about life. We let God in, but only so far. It's a mistake, but we often think God exists just to help us. And if he can't, then we don't have to listen or even relate to him at all. It really is a disease of the heart. And Jeremiah 17 is clear. The heart is desperately sick, desperately in need of healing. But before we can heal our desperately sick hearts, we need to have a diagnosis. And there are three symptoms of this disease. The first is moralism. And when I use that word moralism, I mean the kind of religious obsession with being right and doing right that Jesus criticized when he was here on earth. He told people then they strained at gnats but swallowed a camel. They made sure they always looked holy and righteous, but inside they were rotten, unclean. The religious leaders in Israel at the time were so focused on their behavior that they forgot the Lord's grace, and they completely missed the Lord himself. They thought God was essentially a coach, that the Bible was just basic instructions before leaving planet Earth. When we put ourselves at the center of our lives, when we are the ones sitting on the throne, we begin to believe that we can live righteous lives on our own. Sure, God might have good advice. He might be a good life coach. But at the end of the day, we are capable. 
It's moralism. It turns salvation into self-achievement. And when we fail, it reveals a second symptom, therapeutic ideas of God. When we mess up, our self-confidence plummets. When we're on the throne or think we are on the throne, and our understanding of God is that he just wants us to do the right things, our failure means we aren't good enough, moral enough. So we treat God as a therapist. We read the Bible just to make ourselves feel better or maybe to soothe our conscience. God becomes more than just a coach. He coddles us. When we put ourselves on the throne, we treat God like he exists to serve our needs, to make us feel better about our failures. When we get it wrong, we forget that the Lord is at the center. And that infects how we treat others, too. There's been an explosion of interest in things like mindfulness, self-care, and comfort. Not all of it is bad. Christians are becoming aware of the importance of mental health, the need to be aware of your own boundaries, and the benefit of saying no when your plate is too full. These are good things that we can do. But there's a danger also. The danger is when we subtly put ourselves on that throne and treat others as if they orbit around us. We value our comfort and our priorities over the sacrificial love we're called to give others. We refuse to do anything or to love anyone that makes us inconvenienced. Our hearts, like Jeremiah told us long ago, are desperately sick and even deceptive. When we're putting ourselves on the throne of our lives, we can even think this is good for us. But it's not. It leads us to view our relationship or any relationship as a quid pro quo. What do I get out of this? But the Lord showed us that true biblical love is nothing like that. Christ freely gave his life, freely sacrificed himself to save us, all at his expense, with nothing that we could give him in return. And that brings me to the third symptom of our heart's disease, deism. The idea that the Lord is more or less uninterested in our day-to-day lives. In our diseased hearts, we place ourselves on the throne. And that leads us to think we can make decisions and live our lives without taking any thought of the Lord. We might bring him in if we think we need help, but day by day we just live and live on our own. Some would say it's essentially living like an atheist. This is the gospel according to our age. A moralistic, therapeutic God who doesn't really care about us. We've turned the kingdom upside down. We are kings and queens. God is our subject. Other people are our servants. It is a disease of our heart first and foremost, and it flies in the face of what Jesus himself said. Not so much with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be saved, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The true gospel, the gospel according to Jesus Christ, heals us from our disease. It takes us off of our throne and reminds us that in reality we've never been on that throne. It proclaims to us a love that serves and dies on our behalf. It frees us to love others in the same way, to seek their good at our own expense. Our hearts are desperately sick, and the symptoms are so destructive, not only for others, but to ourselves. We are in desperate need. 
and only the gospel brings us healing. This is what it means to get the gospel right. It means we take ourselves off center, off the throne, and we turn in faith to Christ. The king who could have simply demanded and forced our obedience, but instead he came into our mess, into our world, and he served us, and he died in our place. The gospel puts things right for us. Christ is on the throne. He doesn't exist just to help us, but to save us. Not to soothe our guilty conscience, but to actually cleanse us from our guilt. And he is with us every day. And his spirit is strengthening us as we walk with him. The gospel rescues us from our sickness, this sickness of the heart. And it saves us into a life of love with the Lord of life. Atoning sacrifice, keeper of this life, hallelujah, you are Savior, beginning and the end, forgiver of my sin, by your mercy you have saved us. story. What a savior on Haven Today and a program called Getting the Gospel Right. I'm Charles Morris. It's so important that we understand what the Bible really has to say about the gospel. Is it Christ plus my extra faith or my extra deeds that saves me? Is it Christ plus health and wealth that'll make me truly happy in this life? If you are asking yourself similar questions, or if you know someone who doesn't understand the gospel as defined by the Bible, then you need to watch and then share the documentary that we've been hearing, American Gospel, 
Christ alone. I'm going to send you this film for your year-end gift to the ministry. So, don't just be as generous as you can. Pray about how generous you should be. Some have given $100 and others 10000 and I mentioned even 100000 a couple of weeks ago. No matter what you can do, your gift, yes, is a tax write-off, but it will also be used for God's kingdom. And we have until midnight tomorrow evening to reach our goal. So would you call us right now? And we would certainly say thank you in the name of Jesus for your gift. Our number to call right now is 800-654-2836. 800-65-HAVEN. Or watch the preview that we've put on our website. and You can make your gift there at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you for joining me. Come back tomorrow, won't you? On New Year's Eve. And again, we will remember and we will celebrate Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. If you were to see Jesus walking down the road, what would you say? Maybe you would join your voice with those two blind men from Matthew 9 and cry out for mercy from the Son of David. Or maybe you would shout like the crowds as Christ entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Hosanna, Hosanna. It was John the Baptist who saw straight through to the heart of Jesus coming. John was busy baptizing, fielding questions until he saw Jesus. John 1, 29 tells us just the sight of him brought forth a proclamation that is still heard round the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what grace that that includes you. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit getanchor.com.